Welcome to Army Fitness, my name is Dwayne and I'm your host. Today I'm interviewing Brett Swanepoel, who became a true legend in my eyes the year he beat Graham Jarvis, the GOAT of off-road motorbiking, and one of my childhood heroes. We are going to be speaking to Brett today about how he's overcome some massive injuries, most recently almost losing his hand in a horrific accident, and how he has continued to race and win after that. We're going to be speaking about his plans to become the best in the sport, what he's been up to now during lockdown, and how he manages his time as a professional athlete. We're also going to throw in some nutritional advice, and advice for new riders and those entering the sport for the first time. Today we're going to also have a special focus on the roof of Africa. So this is a must podcast for anyone wanting to become a professional athlete, and anyone with a special interest in motorbiking. Sit back, listen up, and get involved. What's happening, my man? It's good to be sitting here with you today. Um, I'm, I'm so excited for this podcast. Like, you know, motorbikes has been a huge part of my life growing up. And um, yeah, meeting you here in Belito was just epic. And having you come through and train in our gym was um, a special thing. Seeing you just achieve all the accomplishments that you have achieved over the years and getting to be a part of that rehabilitation um, that you went through a couple years ago when you had your big accident, which I'm sure we're going to touch on and talk about a bit. But I really want to talk about your lockdown experience because of everyone I've spoken to, your lockdown experience is by far the best. Like when I was a kid and how I thought life was going to be when I grew up, that's exactly what you had during lockdown. And let's talk about it. Um, let's say hello, Brett Swanepoel is here with us today. Um, the introduction that we had actually, by the way, is like one of my favorite introductions so far. I could just watch that highlights reel of yours over and over and over again. But yeah, welcome and tell us a little bit about your lockdown. Thanks, Dwayne. It's cool to be here with you guys and that. I uh, haven't seen you guys in a while, so it's, yeah, it's nice to see some friends again. Um, yeah, I'd say my lockdown is pretty much like a dream. Uh, when I when they said we're gonna have lockdown I think like the day before I headed to I called up a mate and said please do you have a shed or anywhere and those were my exact words I'll even stay in the shed or the main room whatever you have can I just come stay on the farm uh, which is just up the road here in Belito and, um, and they said yeah he's just gonna chat to his wife and then yeah the next day they're like perfect which was the final day before we went into lockdown so I headed there in the afternoon and yeah, that's pretty much where it started. It was literally like being so on holiday. So you took your motorbike, you took a bag, and you went and lived at a friend's house on a farm so you could ride motorbikes every day pretty much. I, I pretty much took so much stuff, I think I had to do two or three loads in the car. You properly moved it. Properly, yeah. From everything, everything I needed I had there. and. Because they're good friends, we've been friends with them for years, um, family friends, It's it pretty much felt like home there. So it was really, really cool and yeah, it just made things a little bit easier and try to take focus off um, what we were going through and mm. like it was like freedom but locked up. I suppose the challenge for you was like, this is your profession, you're getting paid to do this, you don't want to be taking time off but you can't break the rules, so you needed to find a place that you could still you know, maintain your training and you know, not be in anyone's way or break any rules if, if you could, so it was a smart move on your half, definitely. 
and tell us a little bit about those days that get into like what would you do on a daily basis for training wake up so so the, the main um, thing there on the farm I was staying as I went there to stay with a friend who's um, he's 18 so he's in matric now and then we are still really good friends with his parents and that and it started um, like a day started as in in the beginning we had ride probably every second day of the week which was cool because in the beginning we thought oh it's just going to be three weeks and then life goes back to normal which mm. now we like just over two months passed and it's still a bit crazy but yeah it would just be like that and um as the days went on in the weeks we started like it started as a we'd run in the mornings with the dogs three times a week monday wednesday friday because he had lectures or he had uh, school zoom meetings at from i think eight or nine so we'd, we'd run every morning seven o'clock every second morning seven o'clock with the dogs and then he'd do a bit of school some days so he wouldn't even do anything um and then we'd head uh if we're not riding we'd go to the dam and ski the whole day or we'd go and shoot on the farm or just look for something to do like when we were too tired from riding and skiing and that we'd go and um whatever needed to be fixed on the farm because i've like work on quite a bit of stuff at home and that's and I can work on my own bikes and that um his dad kind of enjoyed that um I was able to fix things they hadn't got to so I think we fixed the tractor the boat his bike we rebuilt the engine there um so he could ride a so and yeah there's just quite a few things did that you take time off technology yeah. like hardly looked at your phone or you did mention you played video games as well so the way I got it was ride motorbikes all day. If you weren't doing that, you were skiing. If you weren't doing that, you were doing some form of exercise, running around the farm or whatever. And if you weren't doing that, you were playing Call of Duty against your mates. Yeah, that pretty so much sums it up. Food was amazing. <laughs> we had um, make sure we'd have breakfast, lunch, supper. So him and I would make a plan and um, make something. Actually, he made some pretty good chow for me, so it was quite lacquer. And then, yeah, almost every evening, like it was a ritual, we had come in and um, after dinner, we had watched The Blacklist, mm -hmm. him and I. We actually, we first watched uh, Outer Banks and then once that was done, um, we started watching The Blacklist. So every evening, Blacklist, and then we'd play Call of Duty Mobile and we'd link up with like one or two mates. And it was honestly like, we were always busy. So your mind was always taken off worry and that and 100 percent it's tough times so like in the back of your mind you're wondering what's going to happen what's lying ahead of the future and with my racing if we don't race and bike shops aren't open they don't sell bikes and that's what pays our salaries so yeah, of course that was a worry but um i just made sure we were kept on training and then working hard for when we do get to race again and what was the riding like up there? I mean, did they have little motocross tracks or were you riding hard enduro stuff? Is there any technical sections? So we are normally, before lockdown, we used to, I do a general uh, on a Wednesday a training group and they have two tracks there, an enduro cross and then like a turn, a big turn track. So we we're very lucky those were already there. So him and I, we, in the beginning, we mainly rode the turn track and then um, as we got a bit tired of that, because we were a bit spoilt, <laughs> we had, we started, we cut open like a 30k track, 
um, to like link the turn track and the enduro cross track in and then we'd started doing laps of that so we'd do we'd start from his house and it'd be like 10 k's then we'd do 10 laps on the turn track and then finish the loop 10 k's back and we'd do like three laps of that as like training and then we moved on from that we also got a bit tired of doing that and it was also chowing petrol three laps of that you chow the whole tank so then we moved to we cut open a like try to cut open an extreme track so him and i just went and scouted like a big mountain or like a bush range and we just cut for like two days two or three days and what do you cut with uh just pangas and that so like i said to you earlier i think if i wore clothes tackies or like training shoes once or twice it would have been a lot i ended up almost inheriting a set of farm boots from um, Grant, the guy who's the manager there, and a cane knife, and we'd cruise on little bikes, and yeah, we'd go cut open trails and then we ended up riding them quite a bit and that, so yeah, that was pretty cool. How many hours would like a training day be <coughs> of riding? So it wouldn't be long because it was right there, so we didn't have to get there, kit up, we'd kit up and probably ride for like two three hours and then some days we'd ride in the morning go and ski in the afternoon and obviously near the end now probably the last few weeks or so before i came home started getting into winter so it was a bit tough to go to the dam mm. you'd end up skiing once and you wouldn't want to go back in the water because it was too cold mm. but near the beginning we'd pull out a whole tank of fuel uh going at the dam and what kind of skiing were you doing there so he has a little rubber duck and a small farm dam so you could pretty much just go straight and then you have to turn and we are doing we had gone knee boards body boards now and again the tube but the aim was whoever's driving his main aim is to whip the person as hard as they can so your goal is to whip the guy either onto the bank through the reeds or wipe him properly out <laughs> I know. Did anyone get hurt? Yeah, a few, once or twice, um, a few oaks would probably like uh, get whipped properly on the bank or through the reeds, and even on the water that they wouldn't want to ski the rest of the day. And That's classic. So he'd end up taking the driver's role and switching sides, but yeah, it was crazy. And it, it was always two of us. So if the oaks weren't falling off, you'd end up trying to like flip the oaks board while he's going around the corner or pushing him into the reeds as you go past and just guys hey by going around on the farm yeah eventually the reeds were flat in the one corner from us just going through them i'm surprised you oaks didn't hurt yourself more what's as the engine was on the boat uh only a 50 but still it was more than enough because mm. the dam's pretty small like it, it sounds it awesome. was always flat out the boat yeah, pretty much. that that experience that's awesome i think what it did for your mental strength you know like it the more you've been in society and you're watching what's going on in the news and you're just like restricted from working or even leaving your house you know you can not even getting enough vitamin d some people because of how con like confined and locked up you are um it's just so unhealthy it's so unhealthy like if your mind's in a bad place you're going to be in a bad place physically as well and it'll come through in your work it'll definitely come through in your sport because i mean at the end of the day your sport is your work that's what you've got to do for a living so that was definitely the smartest thing you could have done and i think um it's gonna it's gonna push you even further now in your career for sure um let's chat a little bit about the career 
um, a couple years ago, I think it was two years ago now, you had that really bad accident, nearly lost your hand. And I'd known you already at those days, you were training in the gym. And um, I remember someone sent me a photo and they were like, hey, did you check what happened with Brett yesterday? And I was like, no, I was actually on my way too, right? I was going up to Glendale, saw the picture and you know, guys were saying they don't think you're gonna ride again and definitely not this. And I just had in the back of my head, like I knew you, I knew your mental strength. I was like, that oak will probably be back next year and win the roof, you know? <laughs> and it took you two years, but I mean, you're riding probably better than you've ridden before and you're on your way to, to um, achieving that number one spot. I think you're gonna achieve it. I hope you do achieve it. Um, you know, you're still young, so it's exciting. And um, tell us how you came through that injury. Like, what were you thinking, bro? Like when you saw your hand, like what were you thinking? Yeah, it was definitely probably, not probably, it definitely was probably, the, definitely was the hardest time of my life. Um, from the minute it happened, it, yeah, I just put everything on hold. I had so many plans, because it happened at the beginning of 2018 and I'd almost planned the whole year ahead. Um, international races, I had so many people who were helping me to get over and that so you know for the first time I could do more than one event overseas and yeah it, for me it was my big shot to try and see what I can do overseas and like make a name for myself there and then yeah I got injured which was by far the most excruciating pain I've ever experienced in my life and it went on for literally a whole year where I lived on painkillers from day to day and wondering if I, when I'll be able to ride again and if I'll be able to ride again because of course um, as I got on the bike I tried to get on the bike like midway through year and I could ride a bit but it was just so excruciating and I wouldn't have been able to race competitively in that pain so yeah it was just trip it ate me alive and seeing everyone else racing in that um yeah definitely took a toll on me mm. so how many ops did you actually land up having i remember two because it so i broke my wrist um dislocated my elbow and broke my collarbone um so each of them were different operations and i think then so i had two on my wrist um one of them included my elbow and then I had one on my collarbone because that's wait for the swelling to go down and then um but the hand was the big one yeah like, for I mean, sure I think when when people saw your hand they were surprised that you actually had managed to save your hand mm. like that was initially when I had seen it I was also like they need to save your hand and you need to get all the feeling back and the nerves and everything which obviously you know I don't know how it happened that they were all fine but I mean, you, you've, we chatted now, just now, and you say you've got perfect function of the arm. You wouldn't even know that, you know, which one was the injured one, which is amazing, considering what you went through. I actually remember, it was soon after your, your injury, you had this brace, and you basically still had the bolts coming out your arm like this. The wound was open, and you had already started to come back in for rehab. And the way I described to people, I think it was like a, a week or even two weeks maximum after you had just come out of surgery, and you walked in here and you're like, I've got to do something. I can't not do anything anymore. So I said, okay, we'll put you on the watt bike. And you hadn't been on a watt bike before. You had been on a cadence bike, but you hadn't been on a watt bike. Or you had been on a watt bike, but never done the watt bike test. So I said, let's do the 20 minute test. That's a good threshold test. And it'll tell us where you sort of are in your fitness. 
And at that stage, I was training for an Ironman event. So I was on the watt bike and I was pushing those 20 minute tests. And I was consistently scoring around 250 watts. So it's an average watts um, score that you would get after your 20 minutes. And I thought, let me put you on there. You couldn't hold on properly. You know, you had one, your other hand was up like this. I don't know if you remember this, but mm. I remember it clearly because of your score. And I was like, just try today and, you know, let's see what you can do and we'll build up from here. I was expecting you to get like a 160, a 180, maybe a 200. I knew you were a freak, but I didn't know what you were <laughs> going to push. And, you know, at the end of those 20 minutes, you did 300, or I think it was like a 298 which is like a professional cyclist score and you had one arm with like open wounds and after that i also just knew i was like there's definitely something special about you you know you've got that sort of determination there's like a you're not gonna quit you're not gonna stop you would rather be dead than you know not give it your everything and i've i've got it's been lacquer to see you just push through those moments, not only in your riding, but like here in the gym and even in the other sports. Like I've seen you race those obstacle races as well. And you, you definitely have that mental switch where you can just go, I'm going for it hundred miles an hour now, which was quite special to see specifically in your, in your rehab process. But I'm glad you're back to full strength now and riding. But um, did you have like, mental coaching or did you have to do like a form of anything special that you think would have given you an edge to like let that go because i mean it must be quite psychologically challenging to have the confidence to go and race and also go around as fast as you were going because when you fell you fell at a ridiculous speed i mean if people see the footage of you coming through there it was like that was in the middle of a race you know it wasn't a, it wasn't just like it happened as a freak accident you were racing and to have the confidence again to go and be like, well, I need to go that fast again. Do you ever think about it? Do you think of falling, getting injured or? Uh, definitely near the beginning, like when, once I started getting back to racing quite properly, where I could focus more on the race and less on the pain. Because in the beginning, I was, I was probably taking six to eight micro-dolls over a six hour race, mm. which was crazy. And I, know, I knew how bad it was for my body, but there was absolutely no way I could function. So once I could move out of that and more focus on just riding, uh, it was quite tough to get over the, f the, f like the injury in that and falling, even if it was just a, a low speed fall, like just sliding out in that hmm. to land on this wrist. Because it doesn't have much movement um, like it normally has, it can't take a big hit. So now I ride with a brace in that and just like it just took time to get through it but I tried going to see a sports psychologist but um, it just I didn't feel like it was working for me and so I just tried to surround myself with good positive people and lucky I have good friends and family who like kept me like going in there through tough times and yeah the injury the injury was tough but what came after the injury was the toughest part of I've ever had to deal with like going two races and knowing where you were and you are you're not where you should be now like you're not anywhere near where you were like people I used to race against and beat were smashing me and that would absolutely grind me because I like I feel I worked really hard to get back and I was just wondering like when's it gonna will it be normal mm. like can i get 
as fast as I was in that. So yeah, I think just like anything, the more you do it, the better you get it. So as I got more riding, it slowly took my focus off the injury itself and the goal was again to like achieve good results in that. And it was like starting almost from square one. So just try to do as much racing as I could. And yeah, as the races went on, the better I got. And 2019 was my first full year of racing. Came into the first round, not even knowing how the heck I'm even get through the race. I had no clue. And what didn't help was the Wednesday before the race, while doing my training group, um, someone rode into me and cut my knee open and I had to go for stitches in that. So on top of a sore wrist, I had a knee that I couldn't even put my foot down during the race. So that was really tough. But then, yeah, there was definitely light in the tumble when it came to the final round of the season, I managed to win um, overall again. So. It showed me like I was back up to speed and like back where I felt like I should be and yeah I went into roof good um, definitely not the result I wanted but I was happy to be racing again and competitive so yeah after 2019-2020 we were coming in full speed ahead and yeah I was just hoping this year was going to be like the year I'm back at there mm. going for championships and all of that so yeah, it started off pretty good, but yeah, we've had uh, coronavirus put a halt on everything. So we're hoping to just get back to it soon. When do you think you'll be racing again? Like when's the next event? So there's been a few meetings with like Motorsports Africa and all the clubs in that. And now under lockdown level three, we're allowed to do non-contact sports matches, which would be racing events. So we're just trying to hear from all the clubs and that what exactly is going to happen and what's their plan for it. But I know the guys are working really hard and trying to get everyone, like keep everyone in the loop as to what's happening. Mm -hmm. So by the sounds of things, we should start racing pretty soonish if everything falls into what plan. What sort of races would you take on then this year? Like what would your focus be? You would obviously go roof? Yeah, yeah. roof's still far away. Um, it's normally only in December, mm -hmm. so there'll still be time for that. Um, which I hopefully see that being normal, allowed spectators, everything. But for now, I think um, we might just have regional racing because yeah. you can't, you're not allowed out of provinces. So I think we'll see pretty much everyone racing regional racing, which will be like nationals, but um, you won't have championships in that at the moment. But it will be good to get some races yeah, get some time out of the belt in it and get back and into it what about overseas like how do you get there like what's the steps mm -hmm. for you now do you have to go and win a couple of big races here locally to be seen and asked to come overseas or what's that whole process about no going overseas it's just pretty much um we don't really get help from the manufacturers yeah well they help as much as they can but um it's at the end of the day it's up to us to try and make a plan to get over there mm -hmm. um they generally supply us with bikes and stuff but it's the flights and all of that that are the big expense. So yeah, it's just pretty much trying to get some cash and a few sponsors and people to help you to get to there. But um, it always blows my mind, bro. Like, I know you get paid to do this for a living and it's like a dream of any kid that likes motorbikes. It's like, if I grow up and I get paid to ride motorbikes for a living, I've made it. But you would think there would be way, much, way more money in the sport. 
you know like they'd be easily to take anyone that came in the top five in a big race like the roof come let's go race overseas let's get all the best riders from all over the world and you know those manufacturers i just wonder why they aren't making as as much money as they should be to be able to do that you know what i mean yeah but um yeah that's another rabbit hole roof this year i think you told me you don't have to pre-qualify no so it used to be um, there's three classes, bronze, silver and gold, and bronze used to have to do a qualifier for the yes. guys to get in. And then silver, you had to do a few national races to show you, you have to finish them to show you qualify to do silver. And then gold was just anyone can enter, but people aren't going to enter gold if they don't feel they're ready for it. Because obviously it's a long day out and um, I think even the us the front guys are only coming after eight hours or so so mm. yeah it's, it's probably the big it's definitely the biggest event on our SA calendar and now and again it attracts a few international top riders which yeah. is good and it's good for us because it suddenly puts the race on the map for overseas people on that mm. i mean my best memory was you beating graham jarvis um, do you remember what year that was? Yeah, in 2014. Yeah, 2014. You were on a Yummy, I think, that year. Yeah. Four-stroke. Yeah, 250 four-stroke. That's amazing. Because you would never pick that bike, would you? Like, I mean, when I say that bike, I mean a four-stroke 250. Now, knowing what you know or riding what you're riding. Yeah, generally the smaller, the smaller four-strokes for that. For some reason, roof, a smaller four-stroke is not a bad bike to ride there. To ride there. Generally a bit heavier but the bike puts some good traction down in it and yeah that year was hectic we raced the whole all three days neck on neck um myself and graham so yeah it was very very tough and for me that was the most demanding roof on my body it was so so hot and um we were doing long days and big miles. you must have been young then as well like you're 23 now that's 20 14. 24 now so six years ago yeah yeah so 18 years old and you beat graham jarvis in the roof of africa <laughs> and you've been watching that oak growing up you know as like your hero yeah so that's a pretty cool achievement that was when i realized too i was like yo this guy's serious he's gonna make it in this sport but i want to do roof this year i told you like a lot of my events have been cancelled um, the 70.3 Ironman's been cancelled. I'm not sure about Otter Run, which um, is in October, but Roof was always on the calendar for me. So I need to get a lot of tips for you. This will be my first one for sure. And um, what, would you, what tips and advice could you give someone like me going up there for the first time? I told you, my first, my, the best riding experience of my life was last year going up with some of your friends to Ramabanta, which is a place in Lesotho, and we just got to ride some of the Roof tracks and for anyone that loves riding bikes like it's everything you could dream of and more like the whole way up there it's a 10 hour trip about to get up there you're just speaking bikes and you pumped you're excited and then you get into this like remote cabin and when you're in the cabin it's just there's tools everywhere and everyone's like um, nutrition set up on the table and then there's just motorbike stuff and motorbike chat going on from morning to night like a bra in the evenings and then you're literally riding all day I even remember like when we were driving to the camp we had to leave fuel at specific places that these guys had already pre-arranged from you know other um other little like bed and breakfast there in the suit so we could say we'll ride past you tomorrow and get fuel because we were so far out of camp 
but it was incredible riding. We'd get up at six o'clock in the morning as soon as it was light enough to leave, leave. And then two of the days we literally got home just before it started to get dark. The one day we got chased by a thunderstorm there, which was like the best experience of my life. We had to drop down into a riverbed and it was just like, you're just winding it as fast as the bike will go. And you, you portions of it that you can feel your back tire just aquaplaning like this. And you're going through like, you know, the water this deep to that deep and little drop-offs and up next to the valley incredible and incredible riding definitely um an experience to to have like if you live anywhere close enough to go and do it it's it's really an incredible place to ride but we've also got some awesome places here like i was saying to you as well i thought i could ride a bike but but coming to belito the first time i got to ride was with you i don't think you'll remember as much as i do but i remember because I was sort of like cocky arrogant that I could ride a bike and I hadn't ridden since I was 13 and I was 24 at the time but you don't forget easily you know like once you can ride you can ride and I just bought myself what I thought was the ultimate it was a KTM 125 at the time it had motocross set up everything and then I dropped in here in Glendale Valley with you guys and Glendale Valley is not a place you can go and ride with a motocross bike and I got told that when I arrived there, the guys were serious and they were, I thought this would be fun, you know, a bunch of guys who are going to introduce me to this thing normally. And I was fit back then. I was doing CrossFit. I was training for a couple Xterra, like those off-road um, triathlon champs. So I was confident in my physical ability, but I had no idea what I was in for. And I mean... There was a couple guys that tried to look after me there and eventually got me home, but I was broken. When I got home that day, we rode for about eight hours. I had no food. I didn't bring, I bought a liter of fuel, I mean, um, of water, which you know is nothing. It was summertime. Mm. I was wearing an armadillo. So I was soaked with sweat. They took me up. I think Biscuit was the first hill they went, they took us up there and which was, it took me probably 20 minutes longer than anyone else. So they knew like, what the fuck, you're going to be around this guy <laughs> the whole time. But the long story short is I had no idea what I was in for. And when people ask me, how can you find motorbike? How can it be so hard? How can it be so physical? I'm like, you don't understand. I've played rugby, I've done MMA, I've done these triathlons. This is the most physically demanding sport I've ever done. You know, if you can go and ride at that level, at the level you guys ride at those hard enduros, it's ridiculously taxing. And um, yeah, definitely not something to underestimate. People say motorbiking is so easy when you speak to them, they say, yeah, but all you do is turn the throttle and it goes. Exactly. Big misconception. <laughs> So tell me about roof. What do I need? What's the setup? How, what like nutrition, hydration? Give me the tips. Well, one of the biggest things I generally try and tell everyone, like guys who I've ridden with who say, Yo, I want to do roof, what do you guys recommend? I always say, ride harder stuff than what you normally ride. So if you're doing a practice event, like a lot of guys do the MP and all of that, say you're entering bronze at roof, go and do silver at MP. Push yourself a bit more. So. When you get to the event, there's nothing that you can't ride. So whenever I go do roof, we ride a lot harder stuff practicing than what we do at the races. So when you get there, everything's rideable. It's just you need to be strong enough to ride at a good pace the whole day. Mm. So, and also fitness is your friend. The less you train, the harder it's gonna be for you. So, how many hours are you riding when you go? When I ride at roof? Yeah. 
I think generally eight hours a day. So you got to be in for eight hours. And what's your average heart rate when you finish? I have no clue, but I remember the one year um, a friend of mine, his uh, watch, Ursa Top Gold Rider, said he burned 6,000 calories. On one day. On one day's racing. Yeah. We had gone, I'd ridden with um, a couple friends of mine from here in Belito and just the outride in Glendale did six and a half thousand calories. <laughs> but like I was chatting, if mm. I had to ride with you on the same terrain, I'd probably burn double the calories because I don't have nearly the skill mm. that you have, you know. It bikes just an extension to your body. So when you move up a hill, even if you did it the exact same time as me, I'd use more calories because for me, I'm feeling every bump. I'm like a little bit resistant. There's not, mm -hmm. as, there's not as much flow as what you have, you know? Um, but obviously I'm taking 10 times the time. So it's like times 20 the calories probably. <laughs> but okay, yeah. So the obvious one is fitness. You gotta be fit and you've gotta be a skillful rider. You go ride harder things than you need to. Tire choice, obviously, that's something I've learned over the years is essential. Yeah, You're wanting massive. a soft, soft tire. What tires are you running at the moment? So, uh, we run uh, missions at the moment. I say, and uh, I can, you can ask a lot of people, it's definitely the best tire on the market at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, their range is really good in that, and their tires last. But when it comes to different events require different tires. So, just because it's a hard enduro, it might not mean you have to run the softest tire you can get because um, a lot of people make that mistake. For example, um, if I go to roof and it's been really, really dry, I generally won't run the super, super soft. I'd run like the medium or an intermediate tire because when the tire is too soft and it's really, really dry, the knobbies fold. So it ends up, you think it's going to work, but it makes your day tougher. And yeah, it's quite a gamble. And so, Tire is important, but the most important is your moose setup. So your moose has to be super soft. You can go there with the softest tire or the best tire or even a child's tire. If your moose is hard, you're going to struggle the whole day and spin. So I'd rather go with a half good tire but a really soft moose mm -hmm. than the best tire and a rock hard moose. And if you can choose, ideal bike? Definitely a 300. 300. Yeah, for two me, stroke. Husqvarna 300, two stroke. Okay. It's definitely the weapon of choice. Okay. And then what sort of nutrition would you take with you on the ride? Um, so for roof or even races, generally on outrides and that, I just drink water and that because it's not too like, crazy about it. Um, but when it comes to a race, it's very, very important. Um, that can be the difference between finishing and not. So for roof, camel pack, um, hydration is important. I try and swap between each refuel whether I've drunk three liters or I've drunk a liter because you never know how long it's going to take you from the next, from the refuel you've just stopped at to the next one. And I made a big mistake the one year of not refueling my camel pack and I actually got dehydrated and um, I had to go on a drip after the race and everything, which really messed me up and probably I, might, I think I might have even been able to get a better result. But because of that, it cost me a lot. Isn't it, that the route you told me you came first the first day and first the last day? Yeah. The sec, is this the same one? Yes. So of course you would have got a better result. <laughs> you came first the first day and first the last day. And where did you come uh, the day you second day, I think I came sixth or seventh. Yeah, it well was that. just... A nightmare. So. so hydration massively important. Yeah, huge, huge. How many liters are you taking on? Um, two to three, just depending. So at your briefing, you'll hear 
this is where the hard part of the race mm. is, this is going to be more flowing, and we try and prepare in conjunction with that. Because you also, you don't, you don't want to be carrying a three liter or even five liters when you don't need to. Mm. That's extra weight on your back, it fatigues your body, so all that stuff. And also, at an event like that, you can't be riding just with water. So I, I use a, a energy drink or like, uh, energy powder that I put in my camel pack, not too strong because otherwise I feel like I get a lot of phlegm and what part are you using? Too much sugar. Um, I use USN Pro Enduro and that's what's worked for me. I've tried quite a few things but so far that's been the best for me. Mm. Um, I don't get, feel like I have too much sugar, it doesn't make me too thirsty and also that stuff I feel, I've said to a lot of friends of mine, when I'm absolutely stuffed I take a sip of that and it's like I've just drunk petrol mm. uh, suddenly get power again so that's been really good and I never used to use goose but in the last two three years I started using them because that stuff's a lifesaver mm. that can when actually bring you, you from the dead though? pardon when would you use a goo because like uh, goose for me it's also a dangerous thing because I've seen guys go out and I've even made that mistake and taken a goo too early and then you hit the wall because you've had that insulin mm. spike and then you've used that energy and you've got nothing left after that. You know, you've got to keep mm. relying on more and more and more goos to get you through. And there's a point where that goo can also dehydrate you to a dangerous level, you know? 100%. So I think um, it's interesting for me to know like when you specifically mm. would use a goo in that type of an event because you've got an eight hour event, which is a long time. Yeah. So surely you want to be saving it to sort of the end or... Yeah, when you on your last legs. Yeah. So it's That's like goo or I'm out. Yeah. The race, so basically. your last option for, for me, my last option is goo. Mm -hmm. When I'm starting to feel cramp coming and I'm starting to feel like I'm pretty stuffed, that's when the, you start taking goos. And once you start, you don't stop until you finished. Otherwise, like you said, you get that spike and you go. Yeah. So you've rock got to bottom. know that like you also. Let's say, because for me, it'll last about 45 minutes pushing. Like mm -hmm. half an hour, you can feel the goo, but after 45 minutes, you, you need another goo. So if you are more than an hour and a half from home, you don't really want to be taking more than two goos in a day. Yeah, 100%. Ideally. So um, for health reasons. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I would say you've got to know you're about an hour and a half away from home. Would you agree? Yeah. Well, yeah, as long as you manage it the right way. Yeah. So take it when you need it but make sure you manage it from there mm. on you've got to be quite like precise on when you do yeah. it i think that's the best thing you said there was if you need it and when you need it and it also shouldn't be a part of your game plan as hey an hour and a half out from the finish i'm going to smack one of mm. these goos and expect a superior performance it's really there to save you like if you've hit the wall you've got nothing left it's literally goo i'm out the race okay let's get in there yeah. let's take it um, okay, and then do you have any other food that you carry with you? Like like um, you get far bars or? No, just generally because we don't have time to stop. Even for me, I was thinking now, for me to take a goo, it's a, a bit of a mission because mm -hmm. I have to wait till there's a break or people are lining up on a climb and you can't go anywhere. Mm. That's my chance because yeah. otherwise you stop to take a goo and you lose the train. Mm. And once you lose... So it's easy to it's pretty easy to stay with the guys when you can see them because then you don't need to navigate and like extreme races but once you lose sight it's very hard to catch up again so mm. for me i just like i'd strap 
two or three grooves on my bike with like a piece of tape um, on my handlebars or on one of the plastics and that so it's easy to get to mm -hmm. but like for other guys I'd recommend taking bars even like some peanut uh, some peanuts or for me lately like now and again when I do a long bush ride and I know it's going to be really tough with like some good um, friends and that like guys I race against I'll take like a peanut butter sandwich and when we have a lunch break or a stop in this time peanut butter sandwich so maybe like amazing. silver riders bronze riders guys not going to like that would be a good option for them yeah they'd need more fuel they'd have more time they're going to be taking more breaks hmm. you know so yeah that would be a good option for me um and what about your pre-race meal what do you eat that i know like i've chatted with you about this before um is like it's an important thing because you don't want to be eating and then feel like you need to go to the toilet or feel like your stomach's irritated and you're starting to get reflux while you're riding and the riding is so physically demanding that if you have got so like something in your stomach you can feel it you mm -hmm. know so what do you eat so for me um i eat generally pro neutro that's my go-to before every morning pro neutro is my staple diet i'd say um Pernutra or that um, Jungle Plus, um, that stuff really works for me. I've tried a few other things like um, I have the special health book um, where I ha I'd have like these certain oats and stuff like that and I just found um, that stuff didn't work for me because I'd end up getting like say three quarters of the way through the race I'd get really bad stomach cramps and like I'd need to go to the toilet or I'd be r like really in pain and I'd battle to race. So. Um, for me when it comes to like that kind of stuff you must try and listen to your body so don't try something new on race day yeah try it every day so that's why for me pronutra is my everyday meal and before I race that's what I eat um, so do try things but not on race day mm. and listen to your body and do you try eat more like if or do you eat exactly the same because I mean surely mm. you want to try and have a bit more calories you know you're going to be burning that many calories you're not going to be eating for the next 8 to 10 to 12 some people take hours so so eating too much is not good mm. your body gets tired because that's to digest a lot of food so um, I have a, a decent sized meal in the morning so if like Ruth we race early we on the start line I think we leave at 6 or 6 30 so we're waking up at like three or four so it's quite difficult to eat so i have something small like pro neutro and that and then throughout the day at each stop i'll have either a meal replacement or a small a sandwich or something as they're refilling my bike mm. but like in a three hour three to six hour like a national race and stuff like that we generally would race a bit later so then i'll try and eat like pro neutro and that early in the morning and have something a bit lighter uh, just before the race and in those races um, I don't generally eat during those races because it's such a short event um, it's mainly just liquids and one or two things like a snack bar or something small so people often make the mistake they think shit it's going to be a long day let's eat as much as we can and then your stomach you feel heavy sometimes you get stomach cramps or bloated yeah i've tried that before it has happened to me i've also tried the reverse of like this ketone way where you don't chow and you're trying to go on your fat mm. reserves but if you're not so if you're not super strict 
and you don't stick to it properly and you're not in a state of ketosis for like at least three or four weeks going into it it doesn't work and yeah you need more fuel so the fueling is very important for me especially on those long endurance events like that it's probably the most important because you you just you're going at a hundred miles or your hundred percent so yeah it is it is very very important consideration um in terms of kit you know so it, it's an expensive sport i'm taking up a bike we've got to take what a couple spare tires what do you recommend taking you got, you've got to take a whole change of kit as well hey new helmet new boots all these things or what do you recommend so if, like for when we go there we try and take our team takes spares for our bikes a spare bike if we need to swap anything and stuff like that and we, we have spare sets of kit but not we got sponsors who provide that, which we're very lucky for. But the average guy who's just going there to compete at roof, have a good time, or even just to finish the event and do the best he can do, um, I'd recommend getting a service pack. That's what a lot of guys do, because you can't come in at the end of the day and be tired and now you have to work on your bike. Mm. So at least have someone who's gonna look after your bike and that. Have to have a, a new tire, for, a rear tire at least for every day. Front tire, not too critical, um, maybe one spare, but um, a rear everyday new tire, that's very important. That's make or break of your race. You're either gonna suffer because your tire's worn or you're gonna make your life easy with a good tire. And then when it comes to spares, if you have a service crew, generally they have um, spares with them at each refuel, so you'll be lucky in that excuse me, but if you don't, um, you need to make sure you have spares. Because also, the event's a lot of money and it's not just entering the event that's expensive. People for, often forget all the work you've put in to do that. So what you've sacrificed throughout the year to get to that event can be thrown down the drain just by trying to save a few hundred rand by not having a spare brake or clutch lever or something small like that. Yeah. That's super helpful, thanks. <laughs> you know, you mentioned now something sacrifice. I think that's something I want to touch on for sure because um, if you, as a kid growing up riding motorbikes, um, there's a part of you that's like, hey, I, I could see myself doing this as a living one day. Mm. I, I, you just love it so much. I think it's such an addictive thing when you have that adrenaline surge, you know, especially um, I was telling Craig and Roxy earlier, like if you haven't been at the start of like an enduro race where all those two strokes are revving and that feeling that you get it's it's ridiculous amount of adrenaline and you want that again and again and again but the the real question here is when when you were growing up when did you realize hey i want to do this as a profession i'm going to take it profession as a professional sport and make this my living earn some money from it and um it must have been a big sacrifice as well for your parents to try and put you up and make sure that you got whatever you needed to get you to the position you were but or maybe not well tell us and um i'm sure there's loads of kids that'll watch mm -hmm. this one day and be like hey i could do that too so when i was really young on say pb50s and that i went into the mx race and i started off flat out and i ended up crashing really hard and i said to my dad i hate this i don't want to ever race i hate racing and all of that so from then on i just pretty much we just would ride the odd weekend and that with friends and go to that like the tracks now and again and and then when i was 12 we used to we ride f with friends here in belita and that and his son 
um, was doing what we do now, um, hair scrambles. So junior hair scrambles at that stage. Um, I was 12 and he said, hey, come do it just for fun. And after a bit of convincing from my dad, we went and did it. And I like kind of putted around, helped a few guys who were stuck, like friends and that. And then after the uh, race, I was actually like, flip, this is quite cool. I want to see, like, I want to do the rest of the year. And as the year went, like, I did a bit better and that, and I was just starting, so I did the clubman's class. And um, by the end of the year, um, my parents and I sat down and we were like, flip, next year we want to, like, start racing properly. Like, let's do nationals also. So regionals and nationals. So... Um, then I was 85 juniors, moving from Clubman's to 85 juniors, uh, 2008, uh, my first year, and yeah, flip, we loved it. Um, my parents probably loved it as much as I do, even more. They just love going there, um, coming from a sporting background, they just love being at racing and all of that. So, did your dad always ride or did he start riding with you? He, he always rode, but just for fun in that. So uh, they came from a water skiing background, so they were always at like events and stuff. And so racing pretty much is in our family. Mm -hmm. So then when it came to this, they got, we got so into the racing, like we even bought a sprinter van at a stage. We'd go and camp at the races. So we'd go, the, even a regional, it's like an hour or two down the road. We'd go the day before, camp in the pits, like, make it a family holiday so my mom my dad my sister everyone would be there and it, it just like it made it more enjoyable for everyone so instead of them just sacrificing their weekends they'd make a holiday out of it and it made it like fun for everyone and then as i progressed um i got my first sponsor um which is a drag group it was like a, a almost a private thing um they helped me near the end of my 85s. Were you winning at that stage? No. But they saw the Soaks got some talent, let's try to help them out. Yeah, so I'd say I was top five, top three guy. Okay. And then as I was progressing, um, they started helping a bit more and a bit more. And um, eventually they were helping me with a motorbike and all of that. And that's actually when I got my first new bike is when I got a sponsor. So I can't remember, I think I was 17 or 18 when I got my first new bike and it couldn't have come at a better time because my parents, like, the racing was really starting to cost them a lot and mm -hmm. they were, like, spending a lot of money on racing, probably more than what they could afford to, but just because they could see how much work I was trying to put into it and I wanted to make something out of it. And um, eventually I got a, a factory ride from Yamaha and um, just that also was like the most awesome thing ever because all we've ever worked towards, everyone wants to be in a, like a factory team and that and for work sure. hard for that. So that's the goal when you're that young at the end of the day. And um, as it progressed, like I just, it just, I don't know, it was, became a different pressure. So when I was Getting to that, before I became a pro, I always thought to myself, Flip, I don't actually know how I'll ever become a professional rider and like it become my job and get paid for it. Like, 
it was something I was working towards, but it was, looked like it was just so far away until it happened. Mm. And then things just became very different. So now I was having to look after myself more. It took a burden off my parents, but because it was my job now, every race I went to, not only did I have to achieve for my team, I'd put a lot of pressure on myself because now I'm expected to win from their side, but also from my side. And so I started winning a few races and a few regional, I won a few regional championships and all of that. And then um, a few years later, um, I got a ride from Husqvarna. And then I started doing a few overseas races and that. And what was your favorite race? <sighs> Probably uh, Romaniacs, Red Bull Romaniacs. It is, during, it's five days of absolute insane racing. And like when you get to day three, you're like, how the heck am I gonna ride for the next two days? You can barely sit because you got such chafe on your bum. Um, yeah, you just physically and mentally fatigued. You, there you literally ride for eight, nine hours a day, for so five days. This is in Romania? Yeah. And tell me, how, like, tell us how the race is. Like, what kind of riding? Are you riding through forests? Are you riding... So think of the steepest up and down hills and forests you've ever seen in your life. Mm -hmm. And then... Like something like Hilton forests or... That's not even steep enough. Really? So it's, it's the most traction you'll ever have. Okay. But the steepest up and downs you'll... Like downhills where the best in the world walk down and you're like shitting yourself walking down the hill trying to like slide sideways with your bike because mm. it's so steep mm. if you had to ride down you you'd yeah uh, you'd probably die and you ride on like the crests of mountains and that where if you fall off the side some people will probably never find you it's so dark and they <laughs> you have to ride with your headlight on on your bike it's so dark in some of the forests they're so big it's absolutely insane but it's the most crazy race yeah as tough as it is and everyone just seems to like love it do they have classes as well do they have like a gold and then can silver and bronze go right or only elite? no so it goes gold silver bronze and iron so iron's pretty chilled and then you get bronze silver and on the route it's like a quite a it's something i tell everyone so they'll see there'll be g for gold s for silver there'll be g and s or there'll be nothing when there's nothing you know it's a bronze section so for us that's pretty chilled when you see g s you know okay it might be a little tough but it's when you see just g you know here we go You're this right. is going to be a proper suffer mm. and like do you go over a lot of trees? Do you go in some, um, is there like rivers that you go through? So you ride in a lot of river gullies and then um, probably the worst things are you ride on hectic off cambers through the deepest forests and there'll be one log lying across the off camber and the, lobs, the log's so slippery but you know you can't slide off the log to the bottom. So you somehow got to get over this off camber with this log and not slide down the hill. Just, I'd hate that, that'd be my worst. It that is, is the hardest riding for me, that off camber, like slippery, and you just know, you don't want to be going down that way because there's no way you can come back up. On one hill, um, the last time I did Romaniacs, I lost over an hour just on one climb mm. from sliding down off camber. So how did you finish on 
in Romaniacs, what's your best finish there? Uh, my best is uh, seventh. Okay, that's very good. You obviously so, want to go and win those races though, overseas. Yeah, definitely. I want to try and do, get some good results there. Um, that year when I came seventh, I, I got a uh, probably, I think, an hour penalty for missing a checkpoint by mistake, which would have I would have gained maybe 10 minutes. But I got an hour penalty and I still got um, a seventh. So I definitely feel I can be, um, be a top five guy there like, now, pretty year. consistently. Yeah. Are you feeling like right now you're at the best that you've been? I feel like my riding's really good, but we haven't been racing, so it's quite difficult to say. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm definitely back where I was, if not better, because the riding's progressed so much, it's hard to tell. Like, mm. You need to go and race against the yeah. top guys to actually see where you are. That's good. And um, do you get coaching from anyone? Um, I used to get a bit of uh, uh, coaching for speed work and that, but um, Unfortunately, the guy moved to Cape Town and that, so it's just pretty much been by myself. But what helps a lot is riding with guys I race against, because it becomes who can do the hill first or who can ride up the steepest bank. And as tough as it, like, at that moment you think, oh shit, here we go. Like, how one oak's got up, now how are we going to get up there? Mm. Which is, it's cool at the time, but yeah, it pushes you out of your limits, which is good. Yeah. I remember one of those hills in Glendale, and um, it's called Hobo. But you'll know it. But um, I just call it 30 grand hill because <laughs> the first time I went up, it cost me 30 grand. <laughs> and I was like, there's no ways I'm going back down, back up there ever again. It's like something you should not be riding. But you felt like you had to ride it because you see your mates go up and they all going up. And you're like, well, what am I going to do? I can't turn around and go home now. You know, you've got to give a full effort. <laughs> but yeah, for me, it was more like trying to put my bike on my shoulder and throw it from one rock to another rock. I just, it, I would never have thought you could ride up there. It's like an unridable hill. Still today, I see it i'm like i don't understand you know how people can get up there on two wheels but yeah it really is amazing what you guys can do um i was saying in the intro like we we call you the ninja around here because the things you can do on a bike is it just blows my mind and it's incredible to watch you ride it really is like you've got such a smooth style um yeah it's awesome it's like it's like watching a playstation um game that you play and you watch you ride it's very very cool and it's inspiring for us in Belito, you know, to push the riding here. Um, I suppose it's it's like all the sports here. We've got such cool guys. Like the surfers will look up to someone like Twiggy and, you know, go and push out on the big mm -hmm. waves. And um, there's such a nice riding community here. And people, they do, they look up to you and see where you go ride and, you know, some of the hills you've done, which also motivates us. But um, this area, I was also chatting to you about, I was like, how lucky are we to have the riding we've got here? especially in KZN, South Africa, like there's just amazing, amazing riding areas. Um, what are some of your favorites around here? Um, so Glendale, it's a home riding ground, so definitely I really enjoy that place, but also like Hilton there near Maritzburg, and that is the closest we get to like, say Romaniacs kind of training with big forests and that. And it's the most brutal when it rains, but everyone wants to go ride there when it rains because it's so difficult. It's kind of like a weird setup. Like, the harder it is, the more people want to go ride there. And then um, we've also got Ananda Valley, which is really good. So we, like you say, we're a bit spoiled for choice here. There's mm. 
so much riding and other, if you don't want to do enduro riding there's like a lot of track stuff like we got Maritzburg motocross track we got Cato Ridge and then we got like a few private little tracks here um, so yeah we're just really lucky and I think it shows because all generally all the top guys in our national racing come from KZN that's very interesting I've ridden up in Joburg twice. I rode at a place called De Vult. I don't know if you've ever ridden there. No, I've just heard of it. Oh, it's in Pretoria, but it was when I was staying up there for a while. Um, but yeah, other than that, there are a few riders from Cape Town, and I can imagine there'd be really good areas there as well. Um, but yeah, we're lucky, yeah. So we're definitely lucky with our riding. But really what I want to know is, what is it like to be a professional athlete what's that like a normal day's life you get to train you get to eat properly you get good sleep obviously you're getting to go and ride the best areas that you can find but like, give me a, a rundown on your week on your training and just like your overall mindset as a professional athlete so everyone thinks to just say so, like i often get the comment yes you're so lucky you get to ride every day you got the best job ever and it's and like what stress do you have and it's people don't actually understand how difficult it is because um, you have to go to a race, you're putting, you're putting your body on the line for yourself and for your team in there to do the best results you can get and sometimes it's not good enough and you, it's, you don't know how to explain that and mm. what could you have done better and not, or not. Well if it's not good enough you can get cut right and then you've got yeah, no profession 100%. and then you have to go and do something else for a living besides yeah. be an athlete so that's a lot of pressure and also even people say oh you can ride every day i promise you everyone goes try ride every single day it's it's difficult like some days when you don't want to ride um you know you're not you're tired of it you've been riding a lot you've been training hard all you want to do is maybe chill out a bit but you can't because you know the oak down the road who you're racing against will be putting in the hours mm. so yeah you get those days where you, you just have to suck it up and ride through it and for example an injury people don't understand you get injured in the beginning of the year or even middle of the year if you can't race your job's on the line so you have to ride through it like what i said with this injury i didn't i wasn't ready to race in the beginning of 2019 mm. but i raced because i had to yeah i wanted to because i needed to slowly get back somehow but i wasn't ready to race i was in a lot of pain and yeah it was genuinely tough and when i was out there i was thinking how the heck like why am i putting myself through this yeah but at the end of the day it's what i want to do and you've got to make sacrifices and um, training wise in terms of like what are you doing in the gym for training do you do cross training of course you're not doing any bodybuilding or anything like <laughs> that so of course you need to be strong for the racing and the riding so I do try and um, lift a bit of weights in that but yeah we do a lot of cross training and um, Gina works us really hard here so like we've got really good facilities you got for about so yeah it just definitely makes things a bit easier and I find it fun so something other than riding is quite cool so try and mix it up and when when i'm not in the gym i'm cycling or and also try and keep it cool with friends so it makes it a bit easier doing it with other people um keeps the fun in it we're always joking and laughing and like as weird as it might seem i dive for crayfish with friends in that and for me that is a form of training but it's also like 
something different takes my mind off the riding and the racing and it's fun like my, my friend Greg and I it's like always a competition whenever we go dive it's who can catch the biggest crayfish or who can catch who can fill their bag first or, or and it's yeah so yeah you just got to try and keep it fun and enjoyable mm. I know you've also played some squash and had the same sort of competition there <laughs> but um, the other big memory for me here with you was my first time riding at Hollow Trails you got me or well, it wasn't you actually it was another friend of mine but you were there leading the pack you didn't want to come second you wanted to lead the way and um, it was a night cycle so that day I went and bought a light you know I was sort of underrating it and mm -hmm. underestimating it completely I'd never ridden at Hollow Trails hey, before this time so I was expecting like just trails on a dirt road I was not expecting what I got into that night but got there with a bicycle that I'd also only ridden twice or three times I just traded up to a different to a Scott with a dual suspension and got my light from um, who did I get my light from probably specialized. Yeah, yeah. From specialized I got my, my light from him and then we rode that day portions of pink and portions of purple but like all the single track downhill things and I didn't even have my light screwed on properly. I remember going down the first single track not knowing what it was because with the light you can only see like a certain circumference as it starts getting to properly dark. And when you go into those little valleys and that you can only sort of see just in front of you and like two maybe three meters in front of you as well. And I don't know if you remember but I was trying because I was keeping up with you and, and Greg in the front and then as we came round I had no idea and there was just these jumps and drop-offs and all these little rocks and I'd pulled, I'd fallen off the side or skidded off the side because we were going way too fast but yeah it was some introduction to hollow trails and night riding and I just those memories of me going for my first ride with you guys here in Glendale all came back I was like I'm gonna get punished tonight I'm going right to the back and I let everybody pass me and I just like stayed at the back with Timmy which was probably the safest thing for me to do but um yeah I mean it's I've seen you and how you train and you've always thrown in the variety which I think is key as well so that you don't overdo it mm -hmm. you know like if you're overdoing one thing it's very easy to become bored of it like a bit complacent and you're not really looking forward to doing it again and again at the level that you need to so um, it's just so interesting we chat about wellness often on these podcasts you know yeah. and um, finding that balance of like how have you got to get your mental game right to support the physical and even more than that, like what goes on in your society and in your environment and, you know, all your emotions, how those all play a role into the outcome that you're desiring, um, which obviously for you at the end of the day, it's winning. Mm -hmm. You've got to go in and you've got to perform at the best of your abilities. If you don't win, you've got to at least know that you had the best ride you could possibly do that day and um, mm -hmm. then you feel successful. But, you know, it sucks when you get there and you've got you're thinking about something you shouldn't be thinking about you've got an unnecessary stress or you've got an injury or you know something's not going going um well at home or in your your social environment with your friends so all those things play a massive factor in how you perform as a sports person which is why the sports psychology is really important but like as you said surrounding yourself with good people positive people that for me is the number one thing like i've seen it like sports people and people that do well in life that are surrounded by those kinds of people they always seem to do well you know it's more important to have that than just have a good sports psychologist I feel yeah if there's anything I learned especially from this time with my injury was doing things um, that take your mind off racing so 
doing stuff social stuff which I didn't do enough of before and that's what I think it's making my racing more fun and enjoyable so spending time with, time with friends and family going out to a bra go have pizzas with friends and stuff like that so you know sometimes it's good to let loose a little bit and like do those crazy things and have fun um yeah you just got to make sure you enjoy what you're doing because mm -hmm. otherwise it does turn into a job yeah you got to love what you do yeah and i want to just throw off the topic here thinking about some of your falls and crashes <laughs> what's like the most dangerous reckless thing you can remember or like what's one of the most reckless dangerous moments you remember on a motorbike probably doing uh, national cross countries where um, afterwards we everyone compares their top speed so there so one of the races I think my top speed was 164 so now you're going 164 k's an hour down a dirt road which and probably on the first lap you're going on that speed down a dirt road it's like a jeep track mm. so it's not even like groomed it's not like riding on a highway mm. you're not exactly sure what's ahead of you or you can see clearly but you're not there could be a rock hidden in a bit of grass or stuff like that mm. so yeah generally that you have to take risks because everyone else is doing it and, and you can't walk the track or you don't no, know not at all do. that's the thing I, that's flying so it, it's scary at the time and afterwards you think shit you know if i crashed at that I could die at that speed probably would so die. but then there's often things like doing stuff with friends and that where I'm think while I'm doing it I'm like yes I shouldn't do this but I have to like riding things yeah or anything we're often riding like when I was at, at Ramabanta there in Lesotho coming down one of those cliffs I've got a photo of the GoPro someone was behind me and you can see the sheer drop just like how you described it at um, Romania mm. so you could see the I see it now I've got it on like the photo I look on my phone often when I'm showing people I'm like look at this and the, even then I was thinking yes this is a risk but then as you keep going you like this is amazing you just got this big pump of energy because mm. of how like incredible you just realize what you've done and i think like i don't know it's like the closer to that near-death experience but you know you sort of you're under control almost um it just gives you that extra surge mm. of adrenaline you're looking for there it makes it more exciting especially when you do stuff that scares you so i try and like push myself a little bit in that sense and be like hey toughen up like if i don't want to hit something and i'm like swipping you need to grow up here now and like do it mm -hmm. and then you almost get on a high once you've done it because you like have that adrenaline rush and it's a bit crazy mm -hmm. like now and again i'll try and hit some jumps which like it's quite a big gap or something like if i go for example to a motocross track it'll piss me off if i can't jump everything yeah. like i'll really be mad so i have to uh, at the end of the day i will be jumping everything whether i'd be shitting myself when i'm going into it but like it just creates flow in that and the other day staying on the farm during lockdown it's not the time to get hurt because going to hospital is not the best reason like you can't say okay i was riding a dirt bike and you don't want to be in hospital yeah 100 percent. Mm. and now we're riding enduro cross and there's a sketchy enduro cross double and probably eight out of ten times I get it good, but those two times I don't hit it right, like I'm almost crashing properly, and it'll be a bad crash. But I have to do it because 
it'll, it'll bug me the whole day, like while I'm riding there. I can't ride until I've done it. Mm. How far is the double? So the double is not far, I'd say maybe five or ten meters, but the landing's so high, the landing's higher than the takeoff. Mm. So you have to hit it perfect, and it's so steep, and it has tires. So when you do case it, you're like almost going over the bars, and as you land, you have to brake to turn in a berm. So there's no room for error, that kind of stuff. The enduro cross is an awesome sport, like for spectators, mm. because it's like you've got that sort of coliseum vibe where you can stand around the whole arena and just yeah. watch the skill. Is just It's a nice thing for spectators to also realize how skillful you guys are, you know? It's not as nice riding. Like for me specifically, mm. I'm not that skillful, so I could never enjoy myself on an enduro cross track compared to going and riding like an enduro race like the MP or wherever, mm. or even just going out for a day in Hilton for a good couple hours. But as a spectator watching skillful riders do it, there's nothing better for me. How is it riding those things? Like which do you prefer? You've done motocross, you've done flat mm. track, you do enduro, like what's your absolute favorite? So I'd say I'm probably the best in um, enduro riding. Um, that's the best discipline for me, what I get the best results in. But like I really enjoy going to the motocross track and hitting jumps and mm. seeing how fast I can hit the jump, if I can, how big I can whip, that kind of stuff. Scrubbing, all of that. And then what I really enjoy about enduro cross is it's like it's cool to practice, but doing enduro cross races is absolutely insane. Like we have this one series, um, there's three. Um, they're generally around SA, um, PE, Joburg, Cape Town. So it's called Inner City Enduro. You ride in town, they build, they put big logs, tires, like the track's really intense. They put big prize money up for grabs. So then already, big prize money means big risks. Everyone's, and folks will do anything for like a bit of cash. Mm. They'll do some crazy stuff. So. Yeah, it's all, I think you get invited, so there's like 20 of us, and it's one lap elimination. You, you, crash, out, you crash and you come last in that heat, tough luck for you, you're out. And they do that until the, last, until the last person standing. So I think first place is like 20 or 25 grand, and it goes down to like sixth place. Wow. So, so there, you pull everything out the bank. Mm. You jump stuff you shouldn't be jumping, you hit stuff you'd never normally hit just because like you're racing like 20 people on a tiny track yeah it's just that's probably like the most scary thing we got to get one of those yeah i said to the guys down here like during a surprise pro or something if they had something like that yeah it would be insane i think they have like five thousand five to ten thousand spectators because mm. you see big crashes like even myself um one I did a few years ago so I think we start five in a row and so there's 20 bucks five 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 oak pulls an elastic and they tell you okay 10 seconds now you just watch the last elastic drops now it's 20 oaks going into a wooden jump into obstacles so a few years ago the first jump I hit I was I shouldn't have jumped it because there were guys in front of me, but I sent it last minute, hit it over the bars, broke my throttle, and like I somehow didn't get eliminated in that. So it's that kind of crazy stuff. And then you go straight from there into the next heat. So I had like literally two minutes to try and like tape up my handlebars and like my throttle and all of that and make it to the next heat. 
So, yeah, that's it's like a different element of excitement. And think. it's the most scary thing being on that start line because, again, I'm going there because I want to win and I want to do well. But it can so easily go wrong. You, can be the, you could be winning every heat and one bugger up and you're stuffed. Mm. You're out. So, it's, yeah, it's like even till today, like I've raced for over 10 years. Every time I line up, I'm like super nervous just because I've got like, I expect a lot from myself. and. Mm. I expect 200% out of me. Yeah. It's an incredible feeling though, that lineup. Like mm -hmm. even for like a novice, like a weekend warrior like myself, like that lineup is, it's, yeah, you can't explain mm -hmm. it unless you've been there. But, um, yeah, the Enduro Cross is so exciting. <laughs> I want to watch you guys live. I think that'll be incredible. If it could come here and miss the Price Pro time, I think that mm -hmm. is definitely, um, that's something someone should look at. Yeah. I mean, there's so many spectators and the town is full already and we've got such a great town to host events like that. Mm. That coupled with a concert or something would be, yeah. what a weekend. Insane. What a weekend. Because I'm sure even now, like going back to the start line there, if, if you ask any oak, whether professional or amateur, when you're on that start line, you're thinking to yourself, why am I here? What am I doing? Why am I putting myself through this? Like, because it's, it's it's very stressful, like it's, mm. you're like, shit, what's, like, what can happen now? What's, do I have to put myself through this, my body through this? Mm. You know, in the next 30 seconds or five minutes, you're going to be, your body's going to be put to the absolute max. Mm. Like, you're pushing it to its absolute limits, testing everything you've done, like practiced, learned. So, yeah, it's if quite you, insane. If you weren't doing enduro like if this wasn't your life okay let's say you never got sponsored didn't work out for you what would you be doing now i think definitely something that would give me that sort of like something i'd be pushing my body to the limits so whether it be a sport or even yeah like doing something like when you watch those things about like navy seals and that how like they do those obstacle things and like what they have to go through like it's weird but i enjoy suffering mm. like i enjoy putting my body through pain and not injury pain but like where you at your absolute you finish you don't I know how much further you can go. To that, bro. i think if i wasn't doing what i'm doing now uh same sort of thing i thought navy seals that kind of mm. it's weird but i feel like you grow from that more than anything else in life yeah. Like those experiences where you, where you feel like you can't carry on, you shouldn't be carrying on, someone else wouldn't be carrying mm -hmm. on, but you do carry on. The growth you get from that one moment is just like, yeah, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's huge. And I think once, once you have pushed yourself to those kinds of levels, you just realize like what we can achieve. And it takes a lot of fear out of um, the mundane normal things in life, mm. you know, you sort of do become a bit fearless mm. because like guys like you, you're not normal. I mean, you can't, you can't <laughs> compare yourself to like an average person mm. in, in any regard, you know, no one that's normal sits here and says, oh, when I go skiing with my friends, the purpose is to try and flick them off the thing as fast <laughs> as we can and see how we can hurt them, you know, it's just, um, but it makes you who you are. And mm. it's, um, it, it, it definitely is something I think there's characteristics in us all where we can appreciate that, you know, mm. um, that you're a super interesting chat. Thanks for coming in today. I really do appreciate it. Um, always nice to catch up with you and see what you're up to. 
and um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for your future. I'm excited to see where you go in the sport. I, I really do think you've got a big shout at, you know, achieving your dreams, which is going to be special for us to see as a community, but also special as us, for me to see as a friend and a therapist. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much.